It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. And this is our review of Seven. Do you like what you do for a living? These things you see? You have to wear blinders sometimes. Most times. Detective William Somerset is looking for a way out. You're retiring. Six more days and you're all the way gone. So how long have you lived here? Too long. Detective David Mills is looking for a way in. We'll be spending every waking hour together from now until the time I leave. I'll show you who your friends and enemies are. Look, I will come inside five years. Not here. Now, we have ourselves a homicide. They're caught in a game. No fingerprints and no witnesses of any kind. Nope. About the only thing we know about that guy right now is he's totally insane. Where the price of sin is death. There are seven deadly sins. Gluttony. You're going to come take a look at this. Greed. No one touches anything. Sloth, wrath, pride, lust, and envy. Seven. You can expect five more of these. All right, everybody. You were just listening to the trailer for Seven, and the story is as follows. When retiring police detective William Somerset tackles a final case with the aid of newly transferred David Mills, they discover a number of elaborate and grisly murders. They soon realize they are dealing with a serial killer who is targeting people he thinks represent one of the seven deadly sins. Somerset also befriends Mills' wife, Tracy, who is pregnant and afraid to raise her child in the crime-riddled city. The film is starring Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Gwyneth Paltrow, and John C. McGinley. It is directed by David Fincher, written by Andrew Kevin Walker. And here to join me today for this throwback Patreon podcast exclusive review, I have Sarah Clements. Hello, hello. Lauren LaMagna. Hello. Cody Derricks. Hiya. And we got two guests to join us here today. First up, returning to the show, you guys know him as the film drunk on YouTube, Jonathan Fuji, everybody. Greetings. And also in the world of podcasting, two peas on a pod, which you can follow on YouTube and all of the other podcasting networks. We have joining us on the show here for the first time, Gerald Morris. Matt, gang, what's up, everyone? I am thrilled to be here. Thanks so much for the invite. Well, thank you all for joining us all to talk about David Fincher's Seven. It may be the second film in his filmography, but, you know, I'm sure if you ask him, he might even tell you that this definitely feels like his uh, directorial debut. It is the movie that very much put him on the map in 1995 upon its release and is a film that has been highly regarded in his filmography ever since. So much so that... You know, you got people like Andrew uh, Kevin Walker, the writer, who I I think every time now he is attached to write something, people always say, oh, my God, yeah, he wrote seven or anyone who really at this time in in, in this film's release uh, really got, I, I think, in some way a bit of a jolt 
in their careers, especially for Brad Pitt. Uh, he was hot off the heels of, you know, a pretty solid run of movies. But, like, granted, they weren't necessarily, I would say, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, Well-received? <laughs> necessarily uh you know he was coming off of a pretty embarrassing performance at interview with the vampire legends of the fall was okay i suppose uh but seven and twelve monkeys the same year of 1995 i think really was a turning point in brad pitt's career overall morgan freeman of course reliable actor as always and then man 1995 also the year of uh Kevin Spacey, who we will talk about on this show, uh, of course, he is in the movie, can't avoid him necessarily, even though his name is not mentioned in the credits, which uh, was also a very interesting tactic used by New Line Cinema at the time of this film's release to conceal his involvement in the movie as the killer John Doe. Uh, so there's a couple of things to get into with this one here um, when it comes to craft, when it comes to story, performances. Why has Seven held up as long as it has. And also, too, it's a movie that constantly even gets brought up every time David Fincher has a new film released, especially one that's in the subgenre of serial killers or police procedurals. He's got a new movie coming out now called The Killer with Michael Fassbender that deals with a hitman. And even that, a totally different world from Seven. People are still thinking about David Fincher's Seven today and how The Killer could possibly compare. It's very, very interesting. But then again, David Fincher has always kind of delved into this dark underworld crime genre, as, as it were. And so here today, let's figure out who is a fan, who is not, who thinks it's a masterpiece, who thinks it has maybe not stood the test of time here. Why don't we start off first with one of the ladies? I'm going to go over first to Lauren LaMagna. Lauren History with the film Seven. What do you think of it? So, yeah, um, this was one of the films that I saw at a pretty young age um, from my memory. I don't remember how old, but it's definitely something my dad showed my brother and I at the same time. And we had a real fun, you know, guessing game. It's one of those movies where you could have kind of fun with it and also be disgusted at the same time as a young child. And I really enjoyed it um, as I've gotten older. I've really um started to love david fincher you guys all know that he is um one of the directors i love particularly a david fincher serial killer murder mystery type so i really 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 um like seven i think it's interesting i think it's fun um even though it is very dark um the english literature kid in me really loved um seeing all of those um like biblical analogies and like going back to text and seeing like what makes someone tick and what makes someone go like crazy and think about these weird things. I personally do think this film holds up. I think it's a really fun, um, good time from beginning to end. You're really invested in what's happening. It's a top tier Fincher for me. It's not my favorite, but it really is um, a good gateway into Fincher. And I'm glad that um, we're here and I'm glad to talk about it with you guys. Quintessential Fincher, although... A good a good time, Lauren? Really? <laughs> I'm not good. See, when it comes to like scary movies, especially with like guessing who the killer is, you know, going down the list of who's next and what's gonna happen. We do we do we play a guessing game. Like I'm sorry, it's a little sick, but it makes it a little bit fun. All right, all right. No, no, no. I, I hear where you're coming from with that a little bit, for sure. Mm -hmm. It's just 
Oh man, some of the content in this movie. This isn't a fun movie for you? I mean, it is um <laughs> Oh man, what does it say about me if I say the answer is yes? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's hear next now from one of our guests. Uh, let's go over to Gerald. First time on the show here, man. What do you think of David Fincher 7? Yeah, look, man, this is going to be, I, I don't want to come off too creepy, but this is and <laughs> this is like a good time for me too, Lauren. I love this movie through and through. I actually had Fuji on my show last year. We talked about David Fincher. This movie, you were talking about putting like Brad Pitt and David Fincher on the map. And of course, that's true uh, for the most part. This really put me on the map as a cinephile, this movie. I was 19 years old when this movie came out. 94, 95, 96 were three extremely formative years of my life. 94, we had Pulp Fiction. 95, we had Seven. And for me personally, we had Scream in 1996. And all three of those films are my top 10 films of all time. This is easily my favorite David Fincher. I think he is operating on another level as a filmmaker in this film. It could be studied in any film school across the country in terms of cinematography, production design, his use of props, uh, the performances in this film. I mean, Brad Pitt is really underappreciated, honestly, for his performance in this movie. I think it's just stellar. Morgan Freeman always delivers, and he is a very stoic character in this movie. Kevin Spacey, although I hate even saying his name at this point, uh, really turns in a performance that's kind of detached from nature. He's not a natural person, and he's kind of carrying along this angel of death kind of halo on his head throughout this movie. And it's very eerie. Uh, I love this movie through and through. I'm sure we'll dive into specifics, but this is easily one of my favorite films of all time, and it has remained my favorite David Fincher film as well. Okay. Sarah Clements, on to you next. What do you think of David Fincher's Seven? Yeah, I think I discovered it quite late in life. I watched it the first time in 2018. And yeah, uh, late in the game on Fincher. But I need to know, did you know the ending before watching it or was it still a surprise to you? It was still a surprise. Oh, okay, Thank God. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a near masterpiece for me. Um, I love its grim tone and gritty camera work and that all elevates its often eerie production design, especially, you know, with the crime scenes and the killer's apartment and its haunting score works to also emphasize the grisly horror of the murders. And it works well as like a neo-noir, neo-noir crime thriller, but it also could be categorized as like a horror film like Silence of the Lambs. It's dark, disturbing, and with a clever screenplay that ties, you know, its play on the seven deadly sins and such a sick iconic bow in the end like I always going back to what you were asking me about Matt I always wonder what was in the box because it's such like a known moment in cinema but I never knew and it like and it didn't disappoint and the fact that we don't even see what's in the box and we just know what's in there it's and it's still so effective at conveying the terror and the shock just speaks to how great the performances are and the direction is and it's a crime thriller, crime thriller that really earns its place as one of the best, not only like in uh, Fincher's filmography, but just as in the genre as a whole. All right. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. 
Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Moving along here, Jonathan Fuji, thoughts on Seven, man? Yeah, um, not to be even creepier, but I would make sweet love to this movie because <laughs> I, I, I love I love this movie so much. Like like you, Sarah, I actually got to this only a few years ago, and by then David Fincher had already kind of emerged as one of my favorite filmmakers, and. I grew up on a lot of crime TV shows, but they were the crime shows that had a lot of humor in it. So like Monk or Psych, where, yeah, there's murders and some bad stuff. Maybe I shouldn't see as a kid, but it's very light and it's it's funny and there's there's comedy. So when I got to seven, I was like, Jesus Christ, this is this is so bleak. This is so dark. But by then, maybe it's because I don't remember when I saw it, but it's the beating of high school or college. I don't even remember. I was like, yeah, I, I kind of like where this is going. And then, thankfully, I had no idea where the ending was going. Absolute jump scare that actually works in this movie's favor when Kevin Spacey appears. <laughs> uh, because by that point, we kind of knew some things about him. Uh, this is, it's not my favorite Fincher, but that's just because my favorite Fincher is like a top 10 movie of all time for me. But this one is, I, I think, a, a masterpiece as a, as a crime thriller. So, one of my favorites. All right. And now Cody Derricks. I know this isn't necessarily what we had in mind for spooky season per se, but this is our horror movie review for October, technically. So <laughs> what do you think of Seven? You know, it's funny because I do think you can tie this into so many other horror movies that are much more horror-y. Like you do see the shadow of Silence of the Lambs on this movie. And when mm-hmm. you watch the first Saw movie, you can tell yeah. that wants to be this movie so badly. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But I don't know if I consider this scary in that way just because it's not seemingly the intention of the movie but we can get into that um as for my own personal history i was a bit too young to watch this when it came out but i did get around to it when i was a a teenager or so because this movie is very you know i feel like it pulls in teenage boy uh eyeballs like a moth to a flame it's very much like aesthetically and tonally the kind of thing that just seems you know built to get those viewers Uh, and i liked it back then as an experience and as an adult now i find it to be pretty spectacularly constructed and really aesthetically of one piece you know fincher knows exactly what he's doing at every single minute of this film and with hindsight we now know that's typical of fincher it doesn't make it any less impressive um but also does speak to the general skills of fincher that this movie is so well crafted and well made and meticulously put together but i wouldn't even put it in his top five much like uh what uh, jonathan was just saying 
But uh, and we can we can talk about this. I don't know if I'm entirely sure what the movie is saying or going for besides peering into the darkest potential of humans. But I do think it's still a foundational film that is so influential and just visually. And I keep saying aesthetically, but I mean, it's just entirely perfectly crafted. All right. So my experience with this movie, my Lord, uh, I was way too young to be watching this movie. I vividly remember I was not even allowed to watch this movie by my parents. I was staying uh, at somebody's house. I think I was being um, I think I, I don't remember why I was at somebody else's house, but I was at somebody else's house and they had a VHS copy and I popped it in. And I watched it uh, without any supervision. I watched it by myself and I emerged from this completely, completely shocked and in awe and just this feeling of excitement because I had never seen anything quite like this before. And I remember when I confessed to my parents that I watched this secretly because I, I, I can't, I can't lie. I like, I, I just crumble all the time. Anytime anybody asks me anything, I'm just like, yep, the truth. Here it is. Um, <laughs> when I told them that I watched seven, their immediate reply was not, oh, how did you watch that? Or, um, oh, we're angry at you because you went behind our backs. No, they wanted to know what I thought about the ending. And they were like gushing. Oh, my God. When we saw that in the theater, people lost their minds. And I was like, oh, this is great. Like, I could talk to them about my thoughts about the ending, which was, you know, a very, very short uh, review of saying, oh, it was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And this movie is still awesome. It's still to this day. It holds up for me. And I think part of the reason for that is because there's really strong character work going on between Detective Mills and Detective Somerset. Um, I love the sense of place uh, within this film, even though it's an undisclosed uh, city. I mean, let's face it, it's supposed to feel, I guess, like New York to a certain degree, but they never say what city it exactly is. And then you have the character of John Doe, as I mentioned earlier, totally withheld from the entire movie. You don't know that Kevin Spacey is in it in some cases, and I didn't know that either. Heck, I didn't even really even know who Kevin Spacey was at the time when I first saw the movie. And so when he pops up in the third act, it's like this revelation that all of a sudden like completely has you on the edge of your seat, not knowing where the film is going to go. And just the tension was unbearable for me. I've rewatched it so many countless times over the years, um, and I keep coming back to it mostly for its artistry. Um, the cinematography from Darius Kanji, I think, is uh, remarkable in this and um There's some really, really fantastic editing going on here. David Fincher's films are always very technically precise in a way that few other uh, filmmakers (laughs) obsess over as much as he does. But I think the end result uh, justifies the means because when you see um, how much of his filmography is considered rewatchable by his fans, you know, you start to realize there is a method to the madness of getting like 80 something takes out of your actors and picking, you know, take number 17 for some odd, bizarre reason. And so I want to first actually start off with something that Cody just said a minute ago with regards to what is it all about? Because I actually think that that is a good jumping off point here for discussing the themes of this movie. I've always considered this film to just be a a character arc for Somerset as somebody who at the start of the movie 
uh, has no hope for humanity. He wants to leave this city. And by the end of the movie, he deter uh, decides that um, he wants to stay. And he is determined that the world is worth fighting for uh, through that Ernest, Ernest Hemingway uh, quote at the end where they say the world is a fine place and it's worth fighting for. And he says, I agree with the second part. You know, So the world is a shitty place, which is clearly established through this movie. But he believes that it is something that he, you know, feels that he should stick around for to capture these bad guys and try to make the world a better place, even if it is so insurmountable, like almost in a no country for old men sort of way where just this uh, force of evil is so powerful. It almost feels like you're absolutely powerless to ever go up against it or stop it. But he's going to keep doing that no matter what. And I think that that's a. Very slight glimmer of hope to offer to the audience at the end of this movie, despite all of its darkness. Um, and that's something that I always latch on to at the end of it all, is that this movie is giving people hope that even in the bleakest, darkest, and unspeakable, in some cases, uh, moments in life, um, you can still find, hopefully, the courage and the means to fight back. That's a good way of putting it. You know, that final line is actually, I think really important to the film as a whole and is a putting a hat on it in a way that the rest of the film doesn't seem interested in, which is interesting. It's an interesting kind of turn for the film to make. Um, it's interesting that you view it as kind of a, a moment of enlightenment for Somerset, because like you said, at the beginning of the movie, he's so just done with not just his <laughs> job or his city, but just seemingly people in general. Yeah. And that's from both, you know, working on this, 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 crime force in this horrible city and also his personal experiences, which we learn about later. I don't know if I completely agree that this is going to make him want to stick around and continue his work or even not necessarily his work, just working to make the world a better place somehow. But it is that that final line is very interesting because it's capping off not to make a, a head pun, but uh, capping off a very, you know, dramatic ending that is, you know, I, I, most people would have trouble coming back from in the real world or even in a fictional world. Well, he tells Arlie Emery, like in dialogue, when he asks him, you know, where are you going to be? And he says, around, I'll be around. So it's right there in the text that yeah. he's not leaving. I don't take that personally as him being like, don't worry, you can just call me. But I, I think he just doesn't really know quite what to do next. That's that's how I take that line. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Anybody else have a different read here? Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our review for the 1995 film 7 here on the Next Best Picture Podcast. In order to get the full, nearly two-hour-long review, you will have to head on over to Next Best Picture's Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you'll get the rest of this review and other exclusive podcast content from us as well. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you all so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time.
Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.